Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We're also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. We help business leaders attract and retain top talent. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host and hockey season business partner, Al McDonald. Al, it's hockey season. What are you doing these days? That question answers itself. It does. Hockey season has started. Spending lots of time in the arena with my daughter. A little bit by myself. Uh, well, not by myself, but uh, playing my own hockey. And yeah, so, and an interesting thing, my daughter is a goaltender. For anyone who has young kids that have played hockey, they'll appreciate this. Always looking for goalies. She actually comes out and plays for us now when we need a goalie. And I got to say, it's a lot of fun playing with your kid. I imagine. You know, it's funny. We have another broker friend who is a goalie. And the amount of phone calls and speed dials he's on because yep. there's just there's just never enough. So he's, uh, he's always in demand. Yeah. Well, it's Podcast Friday. As you know, my favorite day of the week is Podcast Friday. And I said at the beginning of this, when I started the podcast before Al joined me, I really had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know where it was going to go. And one of the side effects has been all these awesome relationships that we build through the podcast. And then we get introduced to other people and and just through networking and LinkedIn. And today's guest, no exception, one of my favorite people to follow on LinkedIn, certainly because it's amazing posts. And I, I highly encourage you to follow her because there's great insights there, is Leah Carr. And Leah is the CEO at Tiller. And I'm going to get out of breath here because Leah has extensive experience in bringing new products to market, hiring and growing teams. Her passion for workforce development is the reason she chose to join Tiller. And Leah was a employee number nine and the first senior hire at CoinSquare, which was Canada's largest cryptocurrency exchange in 2017, where she launched two business lines while helping grow the team to 200 employees in under a year. She's done a lot. I'm already out of breath. This experience gave Leah a solid understanding of how to build talent in an organization. In 2019, she joined the Bank of Montreal as a managing director of digital banking, where she scaled her team in only six months from 250 to 400 people to meet the digital acceleration that we all know was forced by COVID. This not only deepened her knowledge of how to build talent, but also increased her experience with workforce development, talent retention, and investing in skill development. Understanding the value of diversity, equity, and inclusion, Leah also spearheaded the recruitment strategies to ensure diversity and inclusion in both hiring and workforce development, particularly focused on First Nation women and newcomers. Leah ensured the team was hiring for diversity and setting these team members up with buddies and mentors to help with growth success. Finally, as someone who deeply cares about community, Leah is a mentor and advisor to startups through Forum Ventures, a community director with Tech Toronto, and a member of PeerScale, which is a peer-to-peer -peer organization for tech leaders to connect, share, and grow. All of these experiences give Leah deep insight into the talent and workforce needs of the information and communications technology sector. Wow. Welcome to the show, Leah. You're making me feel like a little bit lazy. I got a bit. You're doing a lot out there. 
Well, you're making me feel like I need to cut my bio down a little bit. That was long. <laughs> and thank you for having me. I'm definitely excited to be here. As I said at the beginning of the intro, I'm, I can't exactly remember how we connected, but obviously we're connected on LinkedIn and you're very active on LinkedIn and you're doing a lot of great posts. And I think, I think you've got a lot of great insights. And when we first connected and chatted offline, I knew this was you know, someone that I really wanted to talk to. And, and I think you have a lot to share with the audience. So I do appreciate you being here. Thank you. Yeah. Happy to be here. And yeah, LinkedIn, it's uh, I have all these LinkedIn friends now. It's a lot of fun. You know, it's funny when LinkedIn first came out and I originally thought, well, this is the kind of place to hold your resume, I guess. Right. And I think especially in the last maybe 12 to 18 months, it, to me, it's become a lot more about community. And, and certainly there are people that I haven't met yet that just exist in the LinkedIn ecosystem that I become very friendly with and people that have leaned on for, hey, I'm just wondering about this. What do you think? And I know you do that as well. You put out those polls just to get some information back. So I think, especially the way you're doing it, I think there's definitely an opportunity to build that community and, and have those buddies out there, right? Yeah. I remember when they first came out with Newsfeed. I remember thinking who in the world would post on their LinkedIn Newsfeed that doesn't make any sense. And yeah. now I see it's a bunch of people that are trying to change the way we work and yeah. are looking for other people with similar views and hoping that together we can get messages across and, and really change the world of work. And it's so nice to be a part of it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, hopefully after this, you get a bunch of new follows because it's definitely worth connecting with Leah. So why don't we jump right into it? Because again, I follow your posts. We've had some conversations we keep hearing that skills are changing and companies need to adopt, you know, a skills first strategy. What does that mean and, and what should companies be doing? Yeah. So, I mean, a bit of a, I mean, maybe it's not history, but I'm sure we'll remember, I think it was about 10 years ago that we thought that all our jobs were going to be replaced by AI and automation. And I think the World Economic Forum had actually predicted that over 45% of jobs would be eliminated because of these two things, but it's not what's happened at all. Actually, what's happened is that jobs have changed and I would say arguably for the better. And to layer on top of that, you have digital acceleration. We all know this is happening, but it got even further accelerated with COVID-19. So the skills that are needed to do work today have just changed. And how have they changed? It's that the automation, it's happened, right? You know, HubSpot can automate sales for us and we can now go into a restaurant and we can order things through a machine on our own. This is all done for us. So the more repetitive parts of work have been automated, but the less routine and more complex parts are always going to require human touch. And so we need to shift skills more towards those types of jobs. And also someone needs to use the AI and use the automation. And so this is another way that, that jobs have changed. And even if people aren't changing jobs, these skills for their jobs are changing. And this is where companies really need to pay attention and look at the roles they have, look at how the skills for those roles are changing and really make sure that they're upskilling and training people towards it. Because if you aren't, it's going to be really hard to remain competitive. And so when you say, what should companies be doing? Well, you really need to move from having job titles. You know, there's a big difference between I need to hire a marketing manager and I need to hire someone who can do Instagram ads and who can do TikTok videos and who can do search engine optimization. One is going to get you the specific skills you need or that you are going to need if you're being forward-looking. And one is going to get you who knows. 
And so companies really need to start, you know, you can still write your salesy job descriptions, bring people in, but it's important to really start listing the exact skills that are required for the role, especially the top ones on that job description, because you want to make sure you're bringing in people who can drive your business forward and people who can learn the skills you need to drive your business forward. And this is what I think you're going to see a lot of in this upcoming year. I guess I started the question with asking about what companies should be doing, but you touched on it a bit and and the skills that, that people need. There's two scenarios that I think of immediately. There's young people coming into the workforce who are probably growing up with technology. So it's very easy for them. It's native to them. But what are the skill sets that young people should be trying to develop as they come into the workforce? And then on the other side of the coin, the person who's in their mid 40s, early 50s, that as we know, things can happen. I mean, you can lose a job and you're sitting there. It happened to my father-in-law. You're sitting there kind of 10 years out from retirement going, oh my gosh, what do I do now? So what are the skill sets people in general should be developing, keeping on top of to make sure they continue to have opportunities as long as they want to be in the workforce? Yeah, I I think, you know, the digital skill sets are all very important. Being able to use the tools like Slack, and, and this might sound basic, but as you mentioned, you know, there's people who are later in their careers who might not have been exposed to some of these tools. So Slack, HubSpot, Salesforce, Notion, all these digital tools and making sure that you can work in this digital space, be collaborative in a remote or hybrid environment. I'd say that's what I would be looking to if I was later in my career. But your question about young people, I actually give the answer for everyone because I think for years we've been looking for developers, we've been looking for engineers, we're looking for technical people. And don't get me wrong, those jobs are still in demand, but the number one in-demand skill, according to LinkedIn, is actually communication. And the future skills that we talk about are more behavioral skills. It's the ability to be resilient. Younger people need to really be focusing on, because if you're in the workforce, you've likely been developing a lot of these skills because the way we worked accommodated using these skills. If you're a younger person who interacts with friends through Snapchat or TikTok video, you haven't necessarily learned the right communication skills. So building that resiliency and the adaptability. These are what the younger people should be focusing on. You brought up the resiliency communication. When you were speaking previously about AI and how all our jobs would be replaced, as happenstance should have it, I was reading an article just very recently and talking about a similar thing. But the one thing that the article was really talking about was the jobs that AI can't replace are the human ones, the, the ones that require the human touch. AI just simply can't do that. So I was trying to figure out how to weave that into the conversation, but you brought it up quite perfectly. So, so thanks. I'm sure you read the same article and, and that's just it. Like there are parts of sales that you can automate, but there's parts you can't automate. Like that touch of really making something personalized or going to an in-person meeting. Yeah. I think right now it doesn't feel like in-person is, is the way to go, but I mean, no one's selling me by sending me a demo video. Someone did it to me today. They sent me a message, engaged me. And when I asked them what it was about, they sent me back a video and I was like, I'm out. You know, if they'd invited me to a 10 minute phone call, I, I might've agreed and gotten on the phone quickly. So, but also I think it's worth mentioning nursing, anything in healthcare, doctors. I mean, these jobs are so in demand and, you know, these skilled trades, these are definitely things I would be considering if I was a younger person building my career. You know, they were predicting, oh, I wish I could remember this skill from Ontario. 
I think it's something like, don't quote me, but I think it's around 26% of all jobs are going to be skilled trades in the next 10 years or something like that. So these are definitely skills that will be very valuable. So Leah, you talked about learning, you talked about development. Can you talk a little bit about how you think organizations should be investing in the growth of their employees? I'm going to assume you're you're going to refer to what the learning and development looks like, but yeah, can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, you know, we interview a lot of people who are in HR and learning and development roles. And one of the things these people have told us they struggle with is that, I mean, there are the people who don't have budgets at all. And, and that's another, another story, but there's the people who do have budgets who don't direct how the budgets are going at all because training is a perk. And so people go off and they learn how to code in, in Angular and then they come back and they're like, I want to code in Angular for you. And you're like, ah, oh, but we moved to TypeScript. And you know, someone gets very frustrated. Or today we just talked to someone who said their employees get budget every month and they don't direct it at all. So if someone wants to go out and use that training budget for guitar lessons, they can use that budget for guitar lessons. And I think as a perk, that is very nice. But to me, that's a lifestyle perk. And that's a fantastic one for companies to have when it comes to training and development. It doesn't make sense for training to be a perk. Training should be a strategy. And, you know, this is where I'd really, really like to see companies moving. But first, you need to understand the skills of each employee. You know, we, we generally know what we've hired someone to do. Maybe we're good enough to actually remember what their resume says they can do but we don't actually know what people can do. So there are tools out there to help with this. It's not something you can do in Excel. You can try to do it in Excel, but then you're getting people leaders to fill it in. It's going to be out of date within you know a week or two. So I'd say invest in a tool. And then there's two things you really have to look at. So one, we sort of touched on it already, which is the skills that are trending for the roles that you have in your company. And also the skills you may need for the upcoming work that you have. I think it's important to be forward-looking as well. And then, of course, the goals and the aspirations of the employees. This is such an important thing to look at. And then you use that information to identify who should be upskilled and trained where, aligning the goals of the employees with the needs of the company so that you can grow together. I think this is the way to do training and development. It's the best investment of company's money. It's the best investment of employees' time. I know it sounds really nice to say, hey, go off and learn whatever you want. But if someone goes off and learns a skill, and then you don't give them the opportunity to use that skill, and then the market doesn't need them to use that skill, well, they've just wasted all of their time and they're going to end up being frustrated. So it's a win-win situation. And I think you will see more companies moving towards this. You know, Leah, um, I'm jumping back to a question because it just made me so happy when you're talking about skill sets. And of, and of course, unfortunately, I'm not at that young, just entering my career. I've, I've been in the career for quite a few years. And just to your point, to keep up with those skill sets, like we use Slack internally, a couple of the other things. But the one I started using recently was Notion and found that it was a really useful tool. So I was actually rather proud of myself that that you had mentioned one that I that was actually aware of it. It was wasn't something I had to scramble after and find out about. But you also talked about you were answering Al, you were talking about people leaders and filling out spreadsheets. So I just I grabbed on to people leaders because I, I thought, in your opinion, what do you think of the qualities of a good people leader are? Yeah, I'm so happy you're answering this question. So, you know, for me, first and foremost, you have to be someone who genuinely thrives off of supporting and seeing other people succeed. If you're not motivated 
by helping others build their careers. Personally, I don't think you should be a people leader, like full stop. But other than that, I think, you know, you need to be someone people can trust and someone who also gives that trust in return. I think everyone really should feel safe with their people leader. That That's such an important thing. And the last thing, and I'm trying to mention things here, I, I think other people maybe wouldn't have mentioned, but I think adaptability to your leadership style is really important. I see a lot of people talking about adapting to work with their leader, but to me, the leader should adapt to work with the people on their team because that's what everyone really deserved. And I can share a little anecdote. I'm generally a pretty hands-off, very short on the details type of leader, but I worked with someone in the past who they like to be micromanaged. And to be honest, it annoyed me at first. I was like, oh, this person wants so much for me. But what I noticed eventually as I was adapting my style was that they took every little piece of, you know, I'll say micromanagement feedback so seriously. And I saw them improve their communication style and improve their leadership style and improve their work. And I thought, wow, like this is worth the investment of my time and their time because this person is actually building their career off of being led the way they want to be led. And so I think this is something that leaders don't do enough is really, and I ask it in job interviews, how do you like to be led? And people shouldn't feel guilty if they want to be micromanaged, for example, which generally people think is bad, but it's not bad if that's what you like. It's only bad if that's what you don't like. If someone wants to be hands-off and really try things out themselves three times and fail before they come and ask for help, you know, you just have to get used to it and maybe coach them a little bit on the size of failures they should have before coming to you. But I think this is something that most leaders don't think about. That's really, really important. That's a great question. I wouldn't have thought about asking job candidates. How do you like to be led? Because I'm very much like you. I'm here you go. I empower you to make those decisions and, and it's a safe space to make those mistakes. And hopefully they're not huge, huge mistakes, but come to me before that. But you give them that room. And I thought I'm giving people flexibility and empowering them to do that job. But to your point, if there's someone who doesn't feel comfortable like that and wants to check in, why would I deny that person that? Because I'm just creating an environment where maybe they're not going to feel safe if they don't know that they're heading in the right direction. So I really like that question. Yeah. And if you're not prepared to lead someone the way they want to be led, then they might not be the right hire for your company because you're not going to be able to really set them up for success. I want to dig into that a little bit too, and not on the uh, leadership style, but you mentioned the word trust in there yep. as one of the key things for a leader to be able to instill in the people that they're leading. We could probably talk about this for hours, but any little tidbits or pieces of advice on how to build that trust? Yeah, I think one is when you ask someone to do something and you have a deadline on them, don't ask them in between a million times. Have you done this? Have you done this? You know, you can nicely ask, how is this going? Do you need support? I think that's totally fine. But when you've asked someone to do something, showing them you actually trust them to do it is a really important part of it. And in return, when you've promised an employee you'll do something, for example, someone asked you for a raise and you say, I'm going to go and talk to HR about it. Don't let the employee follow up with you. Make sure you get back to them before they have the chance to follow up with you. So I think it's it's just the small things that you may not realize end up breaking trust, but a lot of it is about follow through. And on the other side, not following up too much and showing that you, you actually know this person's going to deliver. 
I'm reading this book right now. Brene Brown, have you heard of her? Absolutely. I, I think I actually am talking about her in a presentation I'm giving next week. Oh, wonderful. So are you familiar with the analogy she uses about the marble jar on how to build trust? So every little bit of trust building is like you're putting a marble into a jar. It takes a long time to fill up that jar with marbles, but it's really easy to knock the jar over and spill all the marbles out. That's just it. It's a lot easier to break trust and a lot harder to build it. Thank you. That was a great answer. So I want to jump ahead a little bit. Any advice that you have for people that are building their careers, what would you tell them? Yeah, I think this is a good one. You know, I sort of give the same advice over and over again, as I'm sure a lot of us do. And for me, it's two pieces, but maybe one layers on top of the other. So the first one is chase the opportunities. I don't know if you guys have read Think Again by Adam Grant, but he oh, talks I have. about- that yeah, is a great book. It is. So maybe you know where I'm going. And this was one of my favorite parts of the book. He talks about how we start asking kids at a very young age, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we continue to ask this question into elementary school, high school, university, early jobs. Where do you see yourself in five years? And really what we're doing is people are giving answers and then they're working towards those answers. And instead of asking people, what do you enjoy? So people start looking at careers around things they like. You just work on this linear path of building this career you've told people you want. And I think this stops people from chasing opportunities. The truth is, you do not know where you want to be until you land there because there are just so many things out there you can do. And so I always encourage people, if you've got opportunities popping up, first of all, you've probably created them. So there's definitely a glimpse of something you like. I think you should really consider what's coming up in front of you and decide if this is something you like and don't like. Which leads to my second piece of advice I always give, which is that if something doesn't equally excite you and terrify you, it's not the right next opportunity for growth. And so one of these, you know, opportunities pops up and you're like, oh, but this is not the path I'm on, you know, analyze it and think like, am I excited and scared about this? Because if you are, it probably is the right path for growth. So I think that's a great segue actually into what we want to finish off with. So there's a saying that goes, a society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you are planting? So for me and, and also for Tiller, I really hope that we're going to be able to create more equitable and inclusive workplaces. One of the things we're doing with our platform is we're grabbing skills from volunteer experience and life experience. Most people or most platforms will think about taking skills from job experience and uh, education or learning but we don't all have the same opportunities and we don't all go through the same things in life, but everything we're doing is building skills. And we really want to enable people to bring their whole selves to work. And we don't ask people what their life experiences are. We simply help them identify the skills they've gained from those life experiences. But I do hope that we get to a place where people won't be stigmatized and that if they want to talk about the experience they have, they can freely and without judgment. And if I could leave anything, I, I hope it would be that. That is a great answer. And I think it goes back to a lot of the things that you talked about earlier in terms of some of the advice you gave on people starting out in their careers. So I think that's probably a great place to uh, wrap it up. I think so. And I always love hearing the answers to that question because it's always different. 
but I think you handled that one well, and that was a great answer. So I want to thank you for joining us today. Again, we just met recently, and of course, I follow you uh, on LinkedIn, and you've got some great insights. And again, I encourage other people to do so because there's definitely value there. And more than that, there's community. And Leah, you're one of the people that... I would lean on for certain things. And that's why I enjoyed this conversation, why we asked you to be on the podcast, because I think there's just so much value in what you're talking about. So what's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at Tiller? Yeah, I mean, obviously connecting on LinkedIn is a great way. You know, if you add a little message into the request, that'll definitely help with the connection and email me, Leah, L-E-A-H at Tiller.com is another great way to find me. Perfect. Well, that does it for today's episode. As always, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends. Mm -hmm.